Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Uh, it's been great. Uh, it's been a great week for everybody here, but welcome to the Meeting of the Unknown Minds podcast. Thank you for pulling a chair up to the table. It's been, it's been uh, an incredible week as always. We've had a lot of things go on, but thank you for pulling a chair up to the table. If you're out on your walk, if you're sitting back, relax and have a cup of coffee, or if you pop the top with a little sweet tea action, whatever you got going on, hopefully at the very least you're hydrating with that kind of stuff, but it is incredible to have you back here. Um, my name is Matt Eschi. I'm the head cross country associate head track and field coach, the host of the Meeting of the Unknown Minds podcast. We've got an incredible show, an incredible guest. We're very, very lucky to have him spend uh, some time out of his out of his night with us. Um, so we're looking forward to that. We'll get to Hitch's introduction in a second here. Uh, but the gentleman who always, let's introduce him first here, the gentleman who always provides us with the music that gets us going, that sets the tone, uh, Mr. Darren Flowers, the head uh, cross-country track and field coach director, I'm sorry, down at UTRGV. Darren, how are we doing down there today? Doing great, man. Super hot still, though. I'm ready for it to cool off. How hot is it? But it's all good, man. Oh, it was uh, mid-90s today, so a little bit better, but I mean, it's been in the hundreds pretty <laughs> consistently, but I'm, I'm ready for it to cool off, man. Man, I'm glad Drink my see- pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I can't believe you just brought that one out. I can't believe you did that. Uh, <laughs> apparently, you're, you're not only the musician, you're an author, but you're also a connoisseur of pumpkin spice lattes from Starbucks. So, whatever the Don't way deny you that you are, too. Everyone on this podcast, I'm sure, is, too. So. I'll just take my classic uh, Madagascar vanilla latte from the filter coffee house right up the street. <laughs> and my nose up right there. Exactly. Um, no, no, seriously. Glad, glad to be here. Uh, excited for the conversation today. No, man, it's great to have you here as always. Um, we've got Mr. John Bell out of St. Louis University, the director up there. John, how are we doing, sir? Doing well. Excited for uh, another week of, of track and field. It's been uh, been, a, been quite a week, so lots to talk about. Didn't you guys do a, a little, pot, a little uh, inter-squad? We did. You know, I, I figured with not having an outdoor season, we got the kids back a, a month ago, so I said, you know what, let's have an inter-squad meet. Well, Great results, and now we're going to have five more of them throughout the rest of the fall since we don't have a cross-country season. So uh, excited to start competing, and it was a lot of fun. So, but, uh, yeah, let's uh, really looking to dive into to everything that happened this last week. It's been a big week. Yeah, uh, it's not like anything happened. Whew, tell you what. Um, we've got a gentleman um, down there. He is definitely – I give him a little crap for it every single time. He has changed his background. It's now completely white. We know for a fact that he has read all the books that were on his bookshelf. Um, that's why it's empty empty behind us. Uh, but the Jumps Multis coach at Indiana, Mike Erb. Mike, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. Went with a nice professional white background. So, um, you know, just want to want to keep it classy here for, uh, for the meeting of the unknowing minds. <laughs> I hope we're classy, but we're trying to do the best. <laughs> <laughs> always, always. Um, we got coming back. Uh, we're great to have him back. He's had some stuff going on the last couple of weeks. It is awesome to have the jump place coach out of VCU, Mr. Thomas Sage, back joining us. How are we doing, sir? Doing well. I appreciate you guys having me back on. Apologize for my absence. No, it's okay. It's good to hear. Everything good over there? Oh, yeah. Yep. Doing well. Um, we're on a little bit of a pause right now, but. Looking forward to getting going at the end of the month here. Very nice. I know a lot of us are anxious to get going. We're, we're fortunate enough to be racing and running. Uh, we're the lucky ones, uh, wonderfully enough. Um, we've got a gentleman out west. Uh, we'll find out what his update is, but um, the Jumps Multis Associate Head Coach at Nevada, Mr. Scott Williamson. Scott, how are we doing? 
Doing well, you know, uh, dealing with some smoke in the area, but it, it looks like it's going to clear out this weekend and, uh, you know, enjoying some nice uh, temperatures here. It's usually wake up in the morning. It's the, the low, uh, low 50s and getting up to the mid 70s. So, you know, Darren, you're welcome to come out uh, as soon as the air <laughs> cleans up. <laughs> Drinking pumpkin spice latte, Scott? Well, I have, I have some other stuff up here that we might need uh, a little bit more of these days, but uh, we, we got one right around the corner. I tell you what, you guys are lucky out there. Is the air quality is, is that bad? Am I correct? You know, we, we've been, uh, you know, the last two or three days, it's been above 170 up to 180. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I was talking with our, our distance coach the, uh, the other day and, you know, out of the last, you know, three to four weeks, there's only been, you know, a handful of days where it's, you know, been below, you know, 80, which, you know, for a distance runner, it's, you know, um, pretty terrible to go out for a run in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I would, I don't, I don't envy the distance runners. I don't envy any of you guys out there. Of course I wouldn't. Uh, I just pray that you guys stay safe, that that smoke comes through. We had fires a few years ago in, in Atlanta and the way the wind was blowing, actually, you could, uh, I remember one morning looking out there and the girl's like, it's foggy. I'm like, no, actually that was, that's smoke. I believe I can smell that. And that was from, you know, three hours away from us, two and a half hours away. So I was, I'm amazed. Yeah, it, it's been pretty bad. You can actually look directly almost at the sun and it's just, you know, so much smoke. It's just like a, an orange haze. So it's kind of crazy. I'll tell you what. Well, you guys stay safe. If you know anything, I think not only ourselves, but uh, our guests, our listeners, everybody will be willing to help you out. But um, so without further ado, we've teased it a little bit. You've probably seen the picture a little bit, whatever the case might be. We are unbelievably excited uh, to have this gentleman on, on the podcast. He's been everywhere from uh, CW Post head coach where he first started out to, um, I'm going to screw something up here, so I'm going to do the best I can. Uh, but the head the head cross country, the director of track and field, assistant AD at Dartmouth, at Stanford, he was the head coach. He was an AD, and I did not realize this, a PE professor at Oberlin College. Um, and then as well, the head cross country track coach at um, Oregon, He's now the director of track and field and cross country associate athletics director for ed from for administration, if I'm not mistaken, there um, at the University of Virginia. Um, he's a he was the Olympic Games coach in 2016 at Rio, um, the men's coach in uh, 2011 in Daegu for the IAAF men's team there, uh, the head coach in 1990, 1996 for the IAAF world cross country teams, uh, the 1999 distance coach in Seville. I think other than being a 2012 USTF CCCA Hall of Famer, congratulations on that, Vin. Um, I don't know if I'm missing, but I'm probably missing something. But uh, we have Mr. Vin Lanana on us on the podcast tonight and joining us. Vin, it is a it is extreme honor for all of us to have you on here. So thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on here. I, all those um, all those introductions probably just means that I'm I'm pretty old. <laughs> a bunch of players. Happy to. Happy to join you guys. Yeah, I mean, one thing we love, and the one thing you've done is 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 done an incredible job of track and track and field, especially Town USA, bringing the trials in 08 and 12. But one question, there's a couple of questions I want to start with here, and there's a lot to unpack this week. Um, and one of the biggest things we've we'll get to in a second here, but two questions actually I want to start with. One, how does one go from being a head coach at a Division II CW post, if I'm mistaken, they're Division II. Am I correct on that, Vin? That is correct. 
Okay, so you go there, then you go to Dartmouth, become the head cross country coach and director, and then assistant, making sure I got that right, assistant AD at Dartmouth. How do you go? Because a lot of us, you know, I know some people on here, John's been a, a longtime head coach at SLU. Like, how do you go from there to being an assistant AD in that time frame? Well, the issue is that I've always had the interest in going in directly to administration. And uh, part of my part of how I ended up staying at Dartmouth was for professional development and in being and going into professional development, I kind of uh, parlayed that into doing some of the more administrative things around at Dartmouth, for instance, event management and team management and things like that. And um, and the other thing, I was good friends with the athletic director. So it's all about who you know. Exactly. <laughs> Not what you know. <laughs> I think I think uh, my head coach and Scott, uh, you know, Scott and I both went to Iowa. Our head coach both told us the same thing. Like, it's all about who you know. You don't want to hang out with the golf and tennis coaches. You want to hang out with football and basketball because they're, A, they're the ones that make money, but B, they're the ones that have the friends. And, of course, he was joking in a lighthearted way. You know, I mean, everybody, you want to make sure you're, you're cool with everybody. But the, the point is there. Um, so you've been on both coasts, I got to ask, and then you've been in the Midwest for two, three years, which is my, you know, my territory. I love the Midwest being a Wisconsin guy. Um, East coast, West coast. I mean, which would, do you prefer one or the other? You know, I've been in all good places. So it, um, we grew up on the, on the East coast. So it was kind of great to come back here. And, uh, but it's been 26 years since I'm back on the East coast. So, uh, I think I'd probably say, uh, the place I currently am is what's my favorite. Okay, so how long did it take you to adjust being 26 years on the West Coast? How long did it take you to, to adjust back to the East Coast? Or are you I, still well, I, I've been in my I've been in the house just like all of you for the last five months. <laughs> it doesn't matter what coast I'm on. <laughs> Very true. I, I will give you that 100. Um, percent So I think we I think. Um, probably dive right into it here. I think as many of us have heard this week uh, and a number of it, I think this is the fifth indoor and outdoor track and field programs that have been cut with the University of Minnesota um, being cut the Golden Gophers. We had some phenomenal, I remember in college, uh, we never really, we never, I'm sorry, Iowa State, we never really cared about Iowa State at all. Let's just be flat out honest here. Um, but Minnesota was one that their favorite battle, Scott, if you remember, we had some incredible battles in Minnesota. They're always a very formidable, everything from the four by four to cross country and distance, the multis, they were a very, very good track and field team. Um, but, you know, the men's indoor and outdoor track and field programs got cut two weeks ago. William and Mary's programs got cut. Originally this all got cut off, started in, I think with Akron, if I'm not mistaken, Akron and central Michigan at central Michigan's indoor track and field team got cut and Akron's cross country team got cut. And so we're seeing a lot of men's sports get cut, which is unbelievably de devastating in that kind of light. But, um, I think one thing we look at as coaches <clears throat> is we look at it black and white. Why did you just cut our sport? And being in a program, which when I was at Bradley, we brought a sport back. We brought indoor track back and we brought outdoor track back. So I've been on the other side of things. What can help us out here at all? And what, um, what goes into these decisions? What are we as coaches possibly missing? Well, I think this is a, you know, as we all know, this is a crazy time. So I'm not sure that I have the perspective as to what exactly went on in all these places. But, you know, COVID has created all these 
all these deficits. And I think really what it comes down to is that all of the power five schools in particular that are so dependent upon the revenue from football and basketball. So you create this gigantic debt. Uh, so that starts the conversation. So it goes from the president or the chancellor or the regents board, and they take a look at how, do you, how are you gonna make up that deficit? Then you start to look at uh, what are the numbers and you begin to balance it between number of men versus number of women, then the budget. And uh, then I think I would, I would kind of look at, I don't think the coaches have done uh, themselves any favors by not communicating with their athletic directors. And we've kind of created this void. So most athletic directors really don't understand what the track and field does. So extrapolate that up to the president who likely is not paying any attention to it. So all of a sudden they're looking at a spreadsheet and they're looking at a graph and they're looking at how do you balance this? And um, all the men's sports become vulnerable. And then in particular, uh, track and field because it, you don't understand it because there's no score that uh, people tend to uh, gravitate towards. That's the easiest and the path of least resistance. That's, that's my simplistic view of it. Not a bad view of it at all. Um, and it's something in which I think we've talked about on this, on this podcast before a little bit in the last few episodes, which we've talked about, you know, one of the things, of course, no score. You know, how do you, you don't have a wins and losses. You don't have any way that you can actually justify uh, objectively and objectively the sport. You can say we have PRs, which is great. We can have a school record, which is great, but we don't have a wins and losses when it comes down to it. Um, but as well, one of the things we've talked about is, I mean, I think you hit on it a little bit, but Vin, if you could talk a little more about it, what about having an elevator speech and understanding, I mean, is it something in which you have to have like one thing that, you know, I, I, UAB, what I do a good job with, or at least I believe I try and do is I talk to our sport administrator a lot and talk to him, at least be aware, be somebody who's known that he knows that he res hopefully respects. And then we move along. But is it something you have to go from your sport admin up to your athletic director or is talking to him, is he kind of, you know, that bigger wheel in the cock? Well, I think that the elevator uh, speech is, is really important, but I, I think right now, I mean, if I'm going to hit this straight on and be as completely honest, I think that the issue really is that what every track and field coach in the country, in whether you're a cross-country coach or track coach or whatever your position is, um, you need to be thinking about that tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and you're going to get an email from your athletic director or president that says, you know what, we have a real big budget crunch here. We're going to cut your program tomorrow morning and give me, give me a short, give me the short version of why we should keep track and field versus some of the other sports. And I'm not sure what the answer would be with most coaches because most think about the University of Minnesota or William and Mary or Akron or Central Michigan and think, well, that, that really doesn't impact me, but it really does impact every single uh, track and field coach, every single student athlete that participates in it, every athletic department. And people need to start to be thinking that way. And we just haven't been proactive for many, many years. So I, I think that elevator speech is important, but 
what I'm watching now is people are delivering multiple elevator speeches, which are not consistent. They're not based upon fact. They're just some emotional thing. Well, don't cut my program. Well, that isn't really an answer and it doesn't create a compelling story to rationalize and justify why track and field sh shouldn't be the top sport to cut in order to uh, either balance either balance gender equity title nine or look at the financial ramifications there's lots of lots of reasons but at the end of the day everybody needs to have a truthful transparent and and really an articulate and concise message is there okay you kind of brought up something and you don't have to because i understand being the usatf president you can sell us because you have that little version as well that little hat as well so you can say you know no comment to this one is there a way you'd like to see track and field meets go because one of the one of the biggest things that we have hammered left and right uh, we had it with mr hatzel on last week we've had it on with brian fetzer in the american track league a few weeks ago Everybody's got some ideas to help change not only professional sport, but the collegiate sport. Is there a model you'd like to see college coaches go? Because this group right here, I can promise you this, we would like to blow it up and start all over and get track meets done a different way. I think that's very safe to say. If somebody doesn't like it, tell me that. Well, if, if you're asking me, yeah. uh, uh, my perspective is that there are, there are, there are a bunch of things that uh, can be done. And I think that I've heard the talk <clears throat> lots of times be before, uh, but when it comes down to ex actually executing on it, I don't think we've done a very good job at it. And um, we, everybody complains about uh, no score and we're talking about PRs and we're talking about uh, qualifying for the regional championships or something, some, some, something that nobody really understands what any of that means. Yeah. Uh, if you watch a basketball game or a football game, somebody wins, somebody loses, uh, they're excited, they're happy. We have the greatest sport in the world. Agreed. We have the greatest athletes on the planet. Agreed. Yeah. And, um, and we have uh, quite honestly mismanaged it. And I think back to that elevator pitch, now everybody's scrambling to try to figure out what is the way that we save the sport. The sport doesn't necessarily need saving. What needs to be saved is um, uh, right now is, is what is the upside of looking at track as the top of the list of those that need to get cut in order to meet the budget? Because it's real, the budget, the budget issues are real issues. Um, and, but I don't know that outside the power five, that the budget of cutting track is that impactful. Uh, I think that it's sure it's, you know, Minnesota had a, whatever it was, a $73 million deficit. Now they have a $71 million deficit. Who cares? Uh, yeah. yeah. So in the end of the day, it's about trying to put everything on the table. And what needs to happen is um, we need to be, have, a, have a, a unified message. And that's where I think, you know, when you ask the question, what's the best thing to do? I'm not yeah. sure that my ideas are any better than anybody else's ideas, but it needs to be unified. I, I go to the convention and I, 
<laughs> every vote is like 92 to 89. When I was the athletic director at Oberlin for two years, I represented two sports and the athletic directors did a very concise, it was one day and you did an alphabetical order. You went through the athletic directors represented two sports, so 20 sports, 10 schools. And I had a uh, tennis and um, uh, field hockey, I think. I didn't want to do track, but I will tell you by the time it went alphabetical order, by the time it got to the T sports, every athletic director was sick and tired of hearing it. So the football coaches, the basketball coaches, the baseball coaches had a very clear message. The track coaches, and I would go and list, go to the meetings and listen to the votes, and every vote was six to four, four to six, uh, nothing was unanimous. So as a result, everybody's sitting there deciding, hey, you have 15 minutes to present what are the needs of the sport, and we don't even know what, the, the people don't even know what they want to accomplish. So. I guess the answer to your question is a long answer to what should we do to track meets? But I, I do think that if we could actually get some consensus around what is the way, we know what is the way to present them. I think we could do some pretty, some pretty cool things, but there isn't agreement, there isn't consensus. And like right now I'm watching the cross country coaches or fighting with the track coaches about what's the most important season. That's not the way other sports do it. They look at what is important for the whole sport. Yep. And then they come up with a presentation which you can get buy-in on it. So whatever the, whether it's going to be a two-hour meet or one-hour meet, or it's going to have all the events or not have all the events, there needs to be a consensus on what the best thing to do. That, that's my opinion. I think you're right there. The Somebody can jump in, of course, but I think you're right there. I mean, there was a vote in which what we should do with cross country. And if anybody's listening, doesn't know, should we push cross country to the, should we push it to the spring season or should we not have cross country at all? And uh, without diving into the vote and, and divulging too much, actually, I will, I don't care if we're on the podcast, 21 to three of the cross country executive committee, because I'm on that thing, I've been on there for a while, voted in favor of pushing it to the spring to have a season. But then you flip that to the disc, to the track coaches executive committee. And John can talk to this here in a second. And it was voted 25 to nine to not have a cross country season. And if you look at the nine votes and sit down and look at it, John, I'll let you take it from here. I'm going to guess that those all nine votes are directors of, or at least head cross country coaches that serve on the track and field executive. Yeah. We, we had an executive committee call this morning and, and that was brought up just the disparity between uh, cross country executive committee and the track and field executive committee. And yeah, the vote was overwhelming. It was 25 to, to nine to, to not have a cross country season this, uh, this academic year, which I was one of, I mean, my vote was one of the nine of, of let's have a cross country season. And I just, you know, I mean, I've got, I got my own reasons why I think it's important. I think, mm-hmm. um, I mean, personally, I think if you're going to have a, uh, cross-country impacts more distance runners than indoor track does. I mean, quite frankly, I mean, even if you had, you know, the, the 32 uh, between the 3K, 5K, um, I'll just use those, those student athletes as an example. If you had, if you had um, 16 uh, qualifiers in the 3K and 16 totally different qualifiers in the 5K, you're impacting 32 athletes versus, 
you know, a, even a, a 75% uh, field of, of cross country, it still impacts a, a greater number of student athletes. So I think, I think it's important to have a cross country season. I mean, that's my own rationale, but uh, you know, I think then you kind of start to hit on a point. I, I think, you know, we can get lost in the weeds on, on a track meet on what it should look like. And heaven knows I've been on this executive committee for almost a decade now. I feel like I've overserved my time. Um, I think that's the way <laughs> these things go. Uh, but, you know, we, I was on it when we, when we went through the whole exercise of defining a track meet. And I, I think it was great. I think there's some good things that came of it. But at the end of the day, I think there's a structural problem within the NCAA of our sport. And, and I said this last week that I think there's a – there is a bit of a, a, I don't even know how to, how I would say it, but uh, an identity crisis almost. Are we a team sport or are we the individual sport? I think there's, there's value to both. And um, unfortunately, with the way the NCAA rule book is written, not the, not the track and field rule book, but the NCAA rule book, yep. being identified as an individual sport and, and having the, the sport sponsorship requirements, which are important for you know, a lot of institutions, a lot of member institutions in the NCAA really hamstrings how we can move the, the sport as a whole forward. Um, you know, I, I just, I find that to be the root of a lot of our, I mean, there's a lot of problems, uh, but I think that's, that's one root uh, that is really kind of just structurally, how, who are we and what do we do? Um, you know, I, th- I think it's, fine and dandy to have say we're going to have dual meets which i think would be a great idea and and fun times and scoring meets and i think those are all great ideas but if you have some institutions that their primary concern again this gets back to the budget being a real issue if their if their primary concern is how do we just you know meet sports sponsorship and put 14 you know put 14 distance runners out there uh, because that's, you know, that's what you need for track and field. You need your 14 participants, but you correct, know, correct. Yep. And we're going to use the cross country kids to do that. And they're going to be a, I'm probably going to take some heat from this, a distance only program. Well, that doesn't do any, you know, that doesn't do track and field the justice that it, that it deserves because there are sprinters and, you know, sprints and jumps and throws. So I think structurally we have some issues within the NCAA to work out. I mean, that's just my personal opinion on that, but I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> it's okay no it's absolutely okay the we we go ahead Ben. yeah it looks like you got so i i would say if you if you know you're down the same road regarding cross country versus indoor track let me throw out something suppose for instance that vote were a little bit different and you had a vote from the cross country people and the track people and it was proposed that you had that cross country can happen in the winter and you can start it in January, February. But let's take the 5,000 and the 3,000 out of the indoor meet and just have the cross-country kids run cross-country and eliminate those 16 spots for men and women, shorten the meet to an hour and a half. Yep. And what would the distance coaches, they'd be the first ones to complain about it because they'd be saying how unfair it was. Because that, that, that was basically what I've heard. I don't know how... I don't know if that's just a cross-section of, of folks, but you, the, the, the issue comes down to, for the sport of track and field, mm-hmm. what is going to save the sport of track and field or regenerate the sport of track and field as you look at an NCAA structure, we have football players and basketball players and those sports generate the funds. And they generate the funds, and then we have the majority of those 
kids who are the high profile uh, student athletes that are in those programs, most of them are athletes of color. And then all of a sudden we're going to eliminate the sport that provides the same kid, the kids of color on the men's side in particular, women with the number one sport, uh, but the number three sport in terms of student athletes of color is track and field. So I think that if we were to be able to take cross country and we put it in the winter, leave the fall off, you know, just recruit and do whatever you had to do in the fall, uh, because we're not doing the distance kids any favor, send them to a collegiate program and let them run three seasons. I wonder what the votes would be. I, I'll let it, I'll leave it at that point, but I'm going to guess that you would get nothing. You would get no consensus because people would be saying, well, that's crazy. Those kids should be able to compete in three seasons. My answer to that is why? <laughs> not only is that, but you're counting those kids when you balance them in the, in the Title IX equation, you're counting your distance runners three times. And now you have the largest number of men that are participating in the sport, in one sport, in track and field. You have 85 players that you're counting in football, and you probably, most programs, have 20 in cross country, 40 indoors, 40 outdoors. Now you have 100 men competing in track and field in a non-revenue sport. Uh, to me, I don't know, why not? If you wanna take, take cross country and put it in the winter, and I, I don't know where I fall on this, uh, but I would say, whatever it is, you gotta be all in on it. And you gotta be willing to take the other side of that equation if you wanna do something like that. I'll, I'll, I'll go on the record and say, I think, that is a fantastic idea. I, I've been saying that, uh, I, I think, with at least with this group yeah. for a while now that, you know, and COVID has, has brought this out because it's, it's, it's forced us to think differently and, and do some things that we haven't uh, ever, haven't ever done before. And what I am seeing, and again, this is very, just very myopic and, and, and anecdotal, is the ability to develop relationships with, with their incoming student athletes this fall has been, I think, better um, because we're not rushed to go to a cross country meet two weeks after getting on campus. I think ultimately, you know, it would be fascinating to see the data at the end of the semester when, when schools are done first semester, what the injury rate is. I have a feeling you're going to see kids that are potentially less hurt, uh, which I, you know, you start talking about student athlete welfare. I think that's a, a positive, um, positive piece of, of, of you know, their health. Um, and, you know, the other thing, I, I, I kind of scratch my head, my bald head, and say, you know, every time we go to a, a convention and we hear, you know, whether it's a rule change or, or some minutia detail, well, this is what's in the, the IAA, you know, the IAAF rule book or World Athletics now, and, and we need to follow that. And, and I, we don't run the 5,000 meters internationally indoors. We run the 3,000 meters. That's the furthest event. So why do we even have a 5K indoors, personally? I, I, I mean, if we're going to follow the IAAF rule book of World Athletics, whatever they're going by these days, we should eliminate the 5,000 meters. Now, I'm going to probably get a bunch of hate mail in the morning for saying it, but, you know, that's, that's kind of where I sit on that. And, and realistically, again, cross-country at the international level is also a winter sport or, or you know, late early spring sport, I guess. 
and, and so if we, if we want to follow what the rest of the world does, it makes sense um, to, to move cross country to, to the winter months. And just from a, a professional uh, balance, having the fall to recruit, to spend time with your family, to, to have the you know, less pressure. I, mean, there's a, I don't even know if it's less pressure, but it's you know, because we're still trying to do the recruiting that we can. We're still actively engaged with our teams. Um, but there is, a, at least I've seen, a better balance this semester than in any other fall. In, you know, I've been in this 18 years than, than I've ever had before because we don't have a cross-country season. Now, we're going to have one. And that's, that's fantastic. And those kids are still going to get to compete for a championship and, and I'm excited for them. And then we can just roll into outdoor track and field. I mean, most kids coming from high school have cross country and outdoor track and field. Indoor is such a crazy anomaly for, for a majority of the country. And I understand it's becoming more and more popular at the club level, but it's so different for most high school kids that, that if they just had a cross country season and an outdoor season, that would be very similar to what they've already experienced. No, I'm just going to hop in there a little bit and say, you know, I totally agree. I, you know, with the fact that we haven't separated cross country just away from track, I, I, I think that, you know, it should be its own sport. It should have its own coaches. It should have its own, you know, scholarship level, you know, you know, as you know, we're trying to combine all these, you know, different sports and things into one. It just, you know, it just doesn't seem like it works anymore. You know, I, I think being, you know, and the one thing I keep noticing is, you know, a lot of these programs, it's like, well, we're dropping our outdoor program and our indoor program, but we're leaving cross country, which, you know, it, everybody for their first thought of it is, you know, oh, that's horrible for those kids. Cause you know, they're not going to have those, you know, opportunities in track and field, but you know, they're probably able to go to, what is it, five five meets for the track season, you know, so that they're able to do something. They're probably maybe a little bit better off from like a development standpoint. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. The, it would it'd be fun. I mean, in all honesty, I would, I would, I could get behind uh, thinking about it that way. And depending on, of course, how you do it a little bit, but I could get behind actually having a cross country season that starts in January, you know, right after, right when indoors begins and off you go, I would personally get rid of the DMR indoors and have fun with it and say, you know what, you do that. If you want to bring, if you want to bring something in to help out the DMR, put the four by eight. In. Four by eight. Yeah. Yep. Four by eight. And considering the temperature down here, I'd definitely be for a winter cross country season. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, that would be stellar. If you're in Wyoming, you wouldn't say be saying the same thing. No. <laughs> right, right. You know, and, and I've heard that 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 argument because obviously in, in the Atlantic Ten Conference, we have schools in in, New, in the New England area, and, and they're concerned. Yep. Well, how do you run cross country if if you're University of Massachusetts or or University of Rhode Island? And, and I say, well, I understand that, but you know, cross country is so simple. It's great sport, but it is so you don't even need a clock. Realistically, you don't even need the clock. You just need the gun, the starting gun. And the finish line, and and it's all about place. It's not about time. And so, yeah, there's going to be some slow 5Ks, 6Ks, 8Ks. I mean, I think we need to agree on a distance at some point. Um, yeah. But, uh, and I, again, I'll, I'll put my neck out there. I say everybody should run 8K, but that's just me. Um, but, you know, it, it can be done. It's just not going to be super fast in those cold weather, you know, cold weather climates. It's just, that's just the reality. And, and cross country isn't about the time. It's about the place. So 
got to think a little bit outside the box on that one. I think the, the question really becomes back to the first point, and that is, could we ever get consensus on this? And I would say that unlikely. And I think that the issue will be that there'll be the cross-country coaches fighting with the track coaches, and it is not productive. There needs to be a unified position. People need to get behind uh, creating the importance and value of the sport of track and field slash cross country, wherever it goes, whether it goes. In, and I, I don't know where I, how I feel about cross country in the winter or the, um, or in the fall. But I do think that the most important season we should have is we should be focusing our attention on the outdoor track season. We should be having the NCAAs. Uh, and I've, I've, I'm certainly willing to go out on a limb. The NCAA should be at Hayward Field. And I couldn't be further from Hayward Field in Charlottesville, Virginia. But it is the best facility in the world, uh, completely dedicated to the sport of track and field. You have a community that loves the sport. But we couldn't even get people in the coaching group to agree with that. It's completely absurd that people wouldn't see what's in the best interest of the sport. It is not in the best interest of the sport to move it to places that no one cares and no one comes to it. And you can tell me any day that, oh yeah, we're just gonna build up other communities. I've been to Buffalo, New York for the NCAAs and it was a horrendous meet. And yes, we did provide a wonderful, great experience to bring the kids to Buffalo, New York when it was uh, 30 degrees. But the, the fact of the matter is that we can't even agree on that. And I think that what the coaches need to do is get behind every coach needs to be thinking about why is their sport important? And everybody has to be on the same page, regardless of what the issue is. If you look at football coaches, they are ready to kill each other every weekend. Their salaries are based on what happens and they win or they lose. But you, if, when an issue comes up, which it impacts the sport of football, they all somehow align. And in track, I've been doing this for a long time and I've not seen much alignment on anything. And I think that coaches need to kind of think about the bigger picture and what's best for the whole sport. And Hayward Field is one example. Uh, the fact that we have a diverse sport, we have uh, men and women, we have kids from all socioeconomic groups. Uh, and I think that right now, the biggest issue is not how long a track meet is, not whether cross country should be in the winter or spring um, or in the fall. I think what really need, people need to unify Everybody needs to look at Minnesota and realize that that could be any single program in the country tomorrow. And that, and think about what you would say if your program tomorrow morning, it was live or die based on what you say. And I think if you had the number of track and field coaches in the country and those whose jobs depended, depending upon that, were to take a survival um, uh, position, we would find that we would be way more compelling, way more unified, and we would be able to, uh, I think, demonstrate 
an important position to whoever this president, the regents, the chancellor, the athletic director, whoever it is. I think there's a compelling story here. We just, we, busy, we too, get too busy worrying about well, should we have 5,000 or 3,000, how many people should be in the 1,500, uh, instead of what is the big issue. And the big issue is clear. And that is if we, we, have, we have facts on our, we have facts on the side of track and field, uh, but we've never told the story because we get hung up in, uh, well, who's, you know, who gets, a, is, does, does the University of Oregon have a home field advantage of having the meet at Hayward Field? They might, but who cares? <laughs> the sport has a home field advantage. When you go to a packed house and people who appreciate the sport and the student athletes, that is the thing that people need to realize. The student athletes have an incredible experience in competing against, in competing in front of a full house who appreciate the performances. So I can say all this because I don't work at the University of Oregon anymore. So I can't get accused of being a homer on yep. that. So, uh, but I still feel passionate about it, regardless of where I work. Well, and especially now, now that Hayward's been renovated. I mean, I showed my 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 regional first round level kids, whatever you want to call that, that level of kid, the the, the pictures of, of the renovations and they're like they're the motivation to make the the NCAA finals I think went up about 10 notches. And so and I'm sure every the other coaches on this panel would if they, you know, had those conversations with those kids would probably probably agree with me that they want to go see this. And they want yeah, to be sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious from, you know, given your administrative background and some experience there, what does this conversation look like for other sports? Because I, I don't get the impression that they're like you mentioned, football coaches, baseball coaches, basketball coaches that a feel like they have the input into the direction of the sport that seems every track and field coach does. Right. And, you know, there's some level of administration that's dictating a lot of those um, you know, uh, uh, rules and regulations and protocols that, 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 that the coaches are kind of forced to rally around because it's less of a option. I'm, I'm assuming this. So I'm just curious, like, what, what, is this something that happens in those other sports as well? Or do they rally around these ideas because somebody outside of them told them this is what's going to be and we all need to get on board? Does that, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just feel like we're fairly unique and almost entitled a bit when you know everybody gets a chance to sit by the microphone at the convention and give their two cents um i mean that's a, that's cool and everything but it'd be nice for somebody to sit up there and say hey listen here's what's happening we're going to be at oregon for the next 20 years that that's what's doing so figure it out um this is what the meet's going to look like here's where you're going to compete this is what it's going to be and now you've got to figure out how to coach to that as opposed to saying well see that doesn't really work for me because I have X, Y, and Z. So I need to bend the rules to fit what works for me as opposed to, and I'm just, again, I'm getting on a tangent, but what do the other coaches do? You know what I mean? Is, is that something that happens in other, in other sports? I mean, in my, for my, I think it's a great point. And I think it's exactly, you hit the nail on the head. And I think it comes back to the same thing is if the distance coaches want one thing, Mm -hmm. coaches want another thing jumps coaches want another thing and for once everybody needs to think about we all want the same thing and that is for the sport to be able to uh to be able to to thrive 
right now we're in a survival mode, but we need to be thinking about a thriving mode. And people need, when you talk about uh, thinking outside the box, that seems to be the, uh, the cliched comment these days, but the end of the day, it couldn't be a better time. If there's anything that COVID's done that's good, which I'm, I'm hard pressed to find anything, uh, but if there's anything, I mean, it is, it, it puts people in a position they have to do things and think about things differently. And I think when you go back to the other sports, I think what happens is um, you have those football, basketball, men's fo football and men's basketball is going to generate the funds for the athletic department. So uh, what I hear, when I hear coaches talk about, oh, football has this and football has that, it's just a battle. Yeah. It's just not worth having. It's, right. a, it's a waste yeah. of words, a waste of time, because, you know, as an administrator, the truth of the matter is, if we don't play football, when you are talking about 65 to 70 percent of the budget non-existent at the power five schools um, and so if you're the athletic director or you're the cfo at the university you somehow you have to figure out create <laughs> on 35 percent of your budget and the question then becomes for all the sports to do not bring money into the athletic department how are you going to function and the problem is that we have all of these things that we're trying to achieve. It's not fair, it's not this, it's not that. And in the end of the day, none of that matters. You have a sport that on its own, you've got these great athletes that put on a great show. Let's kind of put our attention into how do we showcase and how do we, how are we able to broadcast it? What's the best way to broadcast it? Bring it to a place where the people are. When I, if I hear one more person tell me we have to have a track meet and then we'll get the people to come, I want to see you. I want to see where that happens. How about bringing the athletes to the place where the people are, and try to build around that, and then that might generate the interest in these other places. Every time I hear something like we're going to have a track meet, we're going to attract twenty thousand people, I, I I I feel sick to my stomach because it's just not going to happen. Go to Penn Relays. Penn Relays has 50,000 people there. Showcase your athletes in a place where there's 50,000 people. Bring them to Avery Field, where you're gonna have a packed house every time and get it on TV. Whether there's 10,000 in the stands or 2,000 in the stands, if it's crowded and excited, the place to put it is, on, is in the media. And if you could do it, whether it's through a digital or linear broadcast, if you don't have a full crowd and you don't have people engaged and people aren't understanding it, then we are doomed. So the administrators that look at this, when at the University of Oregon, it was very inexpensive for us to travel to Washington to run meets. And there you go on a 300 meter track, everybody runs fast, but go to try to be a spectator at the University of Washington. There's no seats. You can't see half the track is 305 meters or 300 and something meters. I mean, it's great for the kids to get a good performance, but at the end of the day, who would watch that? I don't even like watching it. And, and I really do care about it. So I think these are the things that we need to be thinking about. And so that's what I think is, you know, as a, as somebody who's been 
uh, in this arena for a long time and in different, uh, you know, administratively. Not that those, would you bring your athletic director to an event that they have to watch 20 heats of the 200? Who would ever go to see that? If you, I mean, who would go to watch that unless you were a 200 meter fan? Wouldn't do it. Like you just wouldn't do it. And then, then the person feels as though they've been tortured. You ask the next person, hey, would you like to go to a track meet? I said, oh no, not that. <laughs> I was there last week. I was going to kill myself by the end of it. Yeah. Um, so it's always, a, it's always a 200 meters, too. <laughs> yeah. We've heard that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Now we can't so, run lane one, so we should just not have tracks that have lane one. Because if you have lane one, you can't run the 200. <laughs> so, Ben, I've got a question, uh, and I think it kind of Mike, – Mike kind of alluded to it, and I something we've discussed on the podcast before is, you know, we can't, we can't always agree as coaches, and I think a lot of that has to do with the different levels and, and the places that we're at and the needs and the – challenges that we all face of course with power five group of five uh what is it, super 22 is that what it's what it's called now super 22 um you know like i I, i've been on executive committees for the last 10 years and uh that that just always seems to be the issue is you know what are they what what is what is this group trying to get over this group and um do you see you know because you look at football they have FBS, they have FCS, there's some division there, there's some, there's some uniformity in the direction that they're going, depending on, you know, what, what, with their FBS or FCS. So, you know, as you look at track and you look at the different groups um, and the different needs and challenges, how, how can we be unified? Can we be unified? Or is that, a, is that an issue that needs to be tackled separately? Well, I, you know, I... I don't know that I have a. I don't know that I have a good answer, or else I would have instituted, or else I would have tried <laughs> to influence it by now. I think the issue needs to come down. People need to be thinking about the whole sport, and if people could get motivated around the whole sport, and I think it's a, now is the time to do it. There is no better time to get unified around it because if you don't, there's going to be nothing to be unified around, and I think it is that urgent. And I think urgency creates, um, creates people to think a lot more holistically. And um, so for me, I would say that there needs to be a meeting of all the different groups, World Athletics, USOPC. If we don't have men's track and field, there are less medals in the Olympic Games. Unless the USOPC plans to spend you know, $800 million a year on the development of the athletes who make the Olympic team and just lop off 10 medals. And then you need USA track and field. And that's my thing. Um, and I think we have a group that USA, USA track and field wants to get behind the college programs, but we need to know what is the message? We need one message. And that one message needs to be centered around how do we create value? How do we create a definition for the sport? Then you can explain it back to whoever said it before, the elevator pitch. I mean, people don't want to hear a long story. They don't want to hear about 200, 200 meter heats and who's in lane one, who's in lane four, who has this, who has that. Nobody wants to hear that. Somebody wants to hear, hey, 
you're in my office, it's nine o'clock, at 10 o'clock, we're gonna cut your program. Should we do it or not? Why, why should we not do it? And that's where people need to think and we need to think about it right now. And so back to your question, I think it comes back to one or two bullet points. Uh, keep it keep it really concise, but about the uh, about what's the best thing for the sport of track and field. That's why I do what I do. I think that's why all of you you want the kids you work with all the kids because you want them to have a great experience, and I think they do have a great experience. Well, they run at Washington, they run on some other bank track, or they have a million heats of the three thousand. That's okay for them. They'll have a great experience. Uh, I went to BU this year, and there were 30 heats of the 3,000. Who in the world would watch 30 oh. heats of the 3,000? That's just terrible. Yeah, and I think the kids had a great time. Yeah. I mean, it was great throughout the experience, but it doesn't do anything for the sport. Just close it down. Don't let any spectators in. And just uh, pull one heat out and have that be an event in, in itself. But I, I think... I think it's all unified around one message and the message needs to be that everyone needs to lock arms and figure out what's best for the sport, not what's best for each individual program. Right? And I, I know that sounds very idealistic, but I'm not sure that we, I'm not sure that there's luxury anymore about sitting around and trying to argue over, should you have cross country in the winter or the, or, or the fall? We need to figure out what is the best thing for the sport, get people together. And then I do think that back to the question about should they, should everybody be told what to do? I don't know. Everybody has input, but then at the end of it, everybody's going to walk out of the room flying the same flag. That's the only way this is going to, this is going to, this is going to actually survive. Well, and you've worked with a lot of people in a lot of different places. Um, and, you know, the message I'm kind of receiving from you is, we need to unite under this survive and advance or survive and thrive kind of model of elevator pitch. Um, do you have any other strategies uh, that you would maybe give us for people that are on opposite ends of the spectrum, how to get them a little closer together? Well, I think that, I, I think if you were to, um, I, I don't know what all the sides of these, I don't know what the sides are. But I think right now, everyone should, everyone should rally around programs being cut. It is imperative that people unify right now. I mean, I, I have been tweeting out, I have posted on Instagram that people need to speak up. And I've, I've heard almost nothing from everybody's silent and not paying attention to what's going on. I'm sure everybody's paying attention. I'm sure people care, but they care about their own thing. But everyone should be just as concerned about Minnesota dropping their program as they are about their own program. This is the time for everybody to unify. And so I, I think that's step two, is how do you bring the folks together? Right now, it's, it's a very clear, to me, it's a very clear message. And that message is that budgets are tight. You do have to, everyone's going to have to tighten their belt. We're going to have to do business a little bit differently. But right now, this is a social injustice. And 
people need to rally around that message and be saying the same thing. And they have to, well, they have to believe it first, then be able to articulate it. But going and fighting over when is the cross country and indoor track, save that for another day. Right now, there's urgency to getting behind this. And I'm 100% all in on making sure we present a unified reason of why track and field should not be at the top of that, uh, the top of that chopping block. And believe me, I'm not, and I hope no sports are ever in that position, but um, I do think the track has a lot of facts on its side to be able to, to be able to thrive in this environment. And that's what people I believe should be getting behind. It's always been amazing watching, <coughs> excuse me, apologize. It's always been amazing watching that divide at the coaches convention. And sometimes you got to wonder, you know, cross country, let cross country be itself, let track be itself. We'll figure out our stuff because you're right. Every time I go to convention, John, I think you mentioned it and, and Vin, you mentioned it as well. And we've all been to the convention where we're fighting over, I can't, we're fighting over what, what, what the 200 and 400 should be, what lane line, what color it should be. And we're worrying about what what the what this meet should be and what's the definition of a meet. But never, and I've been to the convention for at least 10, 12 years as well. I've never heard us talk about how do we work the sport together. This was the first time I remember, I'm going to say this 100%. Uh, I remember being in the committee or being in the room for the track and field, um, track and field, what do they call it? The track and field general session, D1 track and field session. And I remember listening to the room and it went from, we have the D1s, the power five schools, we have the group of five schools, then we have the independent, oh, wait a minute, no, the super 22, and that's what it was called. Everybody burst out laughing because it was like, oh, it's a super 22. I was like, we don't, we don't even know what to call each other. We don't even know what to call each other's groups. But here we are, we've broken up into three different groups. We broke it independence, we've broken it up into supers, and we broke, or excuse me, not, not even, I haven't even screwed up, about the group. And the supers, and it's like, hold up, we've split our sport, even though we're supposed to, we're not supposed to split our sport. We're in the same group. One of the biggest things I've tried to do in our, in our cross country meet here, October 16th, is the big, is one great thing. We've got teams coming from the Sun Belt, the ACC, the SEC, Conference USA, uh, the SOCON as well. I think they might be saying unattached kids. If you are SOCON, I'm sorry, but you know, kids are getting sent over here. So we have a meet for everybody. I try and get in the meet to an SEC meet right now. I get told no, absolutely no. I get told at ACC and they're like, yeah, come on over. It's like, hold up, what up? And it's like, we have a split going on inside of our sport where we're only worried about our program. What's best for Virginia? What's best for Nevada? What's best for UAB? Uh, we got to worry about what's really worrying about for the sport. What do we have to worry about? And right now, again, unify or die is, is pretty much one of the best ways to go about this is, Let's get under the same umbrella. Let's make sure we can help each other out because if not, we are going to be on the chopping block. I remember looking at an administrator this year, not this year, excuse me, when I took the job here at UAB and asked the question, could we had just cut the uncuttable? In my mind, the uncuttable, which is football. And we cut football and I looked at my administration when I was on my interview and said, will you ever cut track, women's track and field? And she kind of laughed at me and I looked at her and said, no, no, you cut the uncuttable. I didn't think football was ever cuttable at a school is absolutely cuttable. Are you going to cut women's track and field? She said, no, there's no way. There's no way we're going to do that. And I said, you know, I feel bad. You know, feel good because I have to provide for my family. That being said, though, it does worry me every single time 
time to not know your administration, not having a speech ready to go and all that kind of stuff. Uh, then you've been around and you've been, it, you know, you've been in Dartmouth. So, I mean, hence an Ivy and the HEPs and all that kind of stuff. And then the power fives as it is, is there any reason for the power five to break away from the mid majors? I mean, from a track and field standpoint, I firmly don't believe so because I believe that sometimes if you look at cross country and track, sometimes the best athletes are coming from the quote unquote group of five independent 22, all that bullshit, excuse me, but all that BS, like, I firmly believe a lot of the athletes come from there as well as that where that's one of the most unique things about our sport is we can go top to bottom and every single person we can have a Norfolk state do really well and North Carolina A&T do well. And all of a sudden we have Houston, Virginia, and Oregon do really well. That's one of the incredible things, but is this a point where the power five should break away and say, you know what, let's go do our own championship. Everybody else, group of five, super 22, you guys do your own. Yeah, I, I don't have necessarily have an opinion of whether Power Five should break away from the NCAA, but I would say that I think that what needs to happen is there needs to be a leadership position from the NCAA that addresses what are the big issues. And having each institution make its own decision, each conference make its own decision, and everybody functions and makes up their rules as they go along is disheartening. And I think that uh, there needs to be a leadership. There needs to be leaders who lead, and leaders can lead if they deliver a compelling message, and if the message makes sense, and if they can get people to buy into it. I think Sam Seams does a, a great job. He gets everybody at the convention, and uh, Sam and I have had many conversations about yeah. recently about. You know, hey, you need you, you need to take a position. You need to convince the however number of people that go to the convention that this is one issue everyone should get behind. I, I, it seems to me that there isn't. I don't know what would be the dissenting vote for not to get on board on uh, saving these programs and having a compelling story. I would think everybody would get on board, but they have to speak up we have to create beat the drum we have to get it in the media on a regular basis and we have a great story to tell let's tell it but it can't be one person telling it we have to have this there's the we have to have every person creating a national story about this and we this needs to be beyond one news cycle and i think it's i i i'm optimistic that if everyone gets on board and really put some really leans in, I believe we can get this thing accomplished. So that's what I would be, and I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm probably the, the optimist um, on this, but I do think that we, we have something really compelling story to tell and we, have need, we need to start telling it. And we need to tell it every day to everyone, whether the, whether the person listens or not, which is still tell it. I talk to myself all the time. So I think the issue should be, and I, and I believe it too. So the, uh, I, hopefully everyone else can get on board with it. I think this is a great time. You know, unfortunately, you know, if, if my athletic director told me tomorrow we're dropping men's track and field at St. Louis University, I don't think it moves the needle nationally. I think when Minnesota drops their program, that is such a, a, a big program. And in, in Leroy's letter to, to the association yesterday, it was 
every program is in danger of this. And I think this is the time to, to really come together <clears throat> because it's just, it's, if it's not apparent now that, that a big 10 and it wasn't like Minnesota was, you know, just some bottom, bottom feeder of the big 10 type program. No, they're pretty good. You know, <laughs> they've been pretty good for you're a long time in uh, all sports, cross country, indoor and outdoor track and field. They've been really, really good. If it can happen to them, it can happen to anybody. And so, yeah, we need, we need that one message and it needs to be shouted from a rooftop uh, to anybody that can listen or to everybody. I mean, even if they're not listening, they need to hear it. I think every, every person on this call and every person that's in the, in the association, everyone who coaches can probably tell a story about an opportunity and access to education that you firsthand or secondhand or thirdhand, you ever either know a story, have experienced yourself. You might look at a guy like Steve Placencia. Um, um, there's a guy who is the son of a of an immigrant coming to the uh, coming to the U.S. and here he is, goes to University of Minnesota, has a degree, does a great job at at Minnesota as a as a coach, as a as a professional. And there's a lot of stories. And I'm sure there's many at Minnesota, and I'm sure there's many at every institution. And all of you on the call probably can tell a very compelling story. Start telling them because they're important. And presidents, these are all, they wouldn't be presidents of university if universities they weren't uh, intelligent. They didn't care about social issues. They didn't care about access. They didn't care about students. They, if they didn't have those uh, qualifications, then they wouldn't be the presidents of the universities. And I believe, and maybe I'm completely out to lunch, but I do think that they will listen to a factual, concise, articulate argument. I think you hit that message right there on the head that we need a fair factual consensual argument right there you need to come into something with with exactly what you want to know exactly what the message you want to get across and how you want to get across we don't need a big fish we don't need something where it's a it's a pie in the sky make sure you know how to do this and, and exactly how to do things because if we don't you know in, in general our sport is in trouble and i think we also not only in this realm right now but i think when we come back to the norm, whether it be six months from now, whether it be 18 months from now, we don't know. We're unaware. I mean, I think the CDC and everybody believes we really don't know when we're going to go back to normal, but you need to make sure that you're doing everything to save your program. Cause if not, we're going to be, we are going to be in trouble, which is the biggest thing. Cause now we're talking about in athletes, livelihoods, we're talking about people, people's livelihoods, jobs and all that kind of stuff. Um, I 100% agree with you, Vin. Uh, Steve's one of the most, you know, he's an incredible gentleman. Um, I was, you know, had the opportunity to be recruited by him. I chose not to go to him. But he was, it was very, very hard to turn down to go to Steve and to go to the University of Minnesota. And I feel terrible for Minnesota and what they're having to go through right now. Um, and again, and John, you said it, if, if it's a program like Minnesota can, can cut its indoor and outdoor track and field programs, that should put us all on notice and it looked like it has. And I think the university of Minnesota has done a great job. Um, at least, excuse me, let's rephrase this. I apologize completely. The university of Minnesota alumni and some of the coaches and some of the uh, and people around surrounding that program who have been there, I'm not going to throw the coaches into the, you know, put them in the realm because I know they have a job to do. Some don't, 
but have done a great job at least trying to put the word out there. It's been in the Minnesota Star Tribune, what's going on. And hopefully there's a reversal because I, I know that the presidents are still meeting. Uh, now presidents, the, I think the board of directors are still meeting to finalize this. So hopefully, hopefully we can something, we can uh, change what's happening right now because we don't want that to happen to our sport. But you need to have elevated, you know, I, I'll go back to it, the elevator speech ready to go. But at the same time, don't have it in needs of crisis, right? Then have it on a daily basis so you know your administrator better than your administrator knows you. Whether it be the, your administrator, your athletic director, along the, whatever the case might be, have that happen. So when we do talk about it, you don't even have to have this conversation. This isn't even a, a thought in the back of your head, whether you have a men's and women's team. They're saying, this is why the school is, excuse me, this is why the sport is that invested and important to the school. You know, if we can do that, I think we're going to be, we, Lord willing, we'll be, we'll be set and ready to go. But, you know, we don't want any sports to be cut at all. That would be the worst thing that we have happen. Let's keep these sports going. Let's keep the opportunities for all the student athletes rocking and rolling. So, whew. <laughs> I'm laughing. We could keep going on this for a long time. Um, but uh, and due to time, of course, and the way things go, we want to make sure you guys have gotten a lot of value out of this talk. Um, we want to thank uh, Mr. Vin Lanana for, uh, you know, for joining us on this podcast. Vin, thank you again. Appreciate it a, a ton. My pleasure. Yeah, and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we had the opportunity to pull a chair up to the table of the meeting of Unknown Minds. We truly appreciate it. We appreciate your time. We appreciate everything that you are. We appreciate uh, the fact that during your walk, your run, sitting back, drinking your coffee outside, overlooking the lake, or whatever the case might be, wherever you are right now enjoying your podcast, we know you have and opportunities to listen to thousands of podcasts and running podcasts. We appreciate you making us one of the top 40 podcasts of running in the United States. We truly appreciate that. Uh, and we're looking forward to your feedback, your discussions. Please share us on Spotify. Please share us on, uh, on Apple. Go ahead and leave uh, reviews, good, bad, whatever the case might be. Disagree with us. Shoot us emails. We are more than willing to listen to those conversations. And if there's something you want us to talk about, please go ahead and do that. Um, but we, until we go ahead and meet again next week, uh, we appreciate everything and we absolutely will try and do better at that time. So, uh, gentlemen, it was great having you, Vin. Again, great having you guys. Uh, we'll talk Thanks to you later. Thanks so much. Yep. Thank Thanks, you, Matt. Thank you. Guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Ben. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Bye.